Welcome to Story Comic Presents, where we interview amazing storytellers and artists. This is episode 73, and I am your host, Barney Smith of StoryComic.com, and we are excited to have back with us the award-winning and internationally celebrated author, Amy Lawrence. Amy, how are you doing? I'm fantastic, thanks. How are you? Good. You know, and I just checked, I just, I looked at it, you were episode 53, so this is 20 episodes Hi. later. Oh, yeah. things yeah. like coincidental like that. That's amazing. No, and I think both of those are prime numbers, isn't it? 73 and 53. They're gonna be, right? 53 is. I feel yeah. like 73 must be, like surely. It can't why yeah, I can't think of anything that's divided by no, exactly. 73. That's 72. Yeah. 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 We have to look into that. Maybe we'll just have you come back at every prime number that pops up. So amazing. Yeah. I'm, I'm down for that. <laughs> 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 hey, you know, and just to remind our audience, you are you you hail from uh, the great country of Australia. That is correct. Uh, where it is also tomorrow, as we're talking yes. right now. Funny story about that. So I had to organize childcare for my kids because my husband's out of town at the moment, and mm -hmm. um, I may have organized them for the wrong day because I did the thirteenth Australian time, not oh. the thirteenth US time. <laughs> 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 and, that's right. So yeah, I mean, to be fair, you're um, we're, you're talking to me from yesterday. So instead of you talking to us from tomorrow, you we're talking to you from yesterday right now. Yeah, so. that's it. I, I'm looking back at my past last night right now. <laughs> <laughs> I think it was a good day. I'm happy to remember that one. <laughs> um, so yeah, and, and, and before we went on the air, we're, we were we're chatting about some of your new books, and you yeah. are, as we mentioned, uh, you know, in episode fifty three. Uh, you with uh, you know with with Inkprint Press and, and AmyLawrence.com, you are you're pushing you're you're putting stuff out uh, you know at a at an envious speed for where most authors would be at. I, and, I'm so glad it comes across that way because I really feel <laughs> a lot of the time that I'm just like not releasing decent length things often enough. So I'm glad it comes across that way. <laughs> <laughs> All part of my cunning plan. <laughs> Well, I mean, as you know, as a matter of fact, too, it's like you what you had um, since we talked last year. You've already published another book called The Rush Job, which is a, a science fiction book. Do you want to uh, talk to our audience uh, a little bit about that? Yeah, there yeah, you go. Well, Bring it right up. This is it. Yeah, pretty baby here. I love the cover. I'm so excited about it. Um, so yeah, this one, I'm I'm really excited about this because this is the first release um, that I have in what's called my Witch Blue universe, mm. and that's witch as in like W-I-T-C-H, a witch, witch blue. Okay. Um, and this is a, a sci-fi universe that I've been kicking around for, I don't know, maybe five years or so now, and every time I mention it, everyone gets really excited about it because mm. it is sci-fi with superpowers and the superpowers that you get are based on your Maya Briggs personality type. Okay. Um, and I was super into all of that with my dad when I was younger. Like it was just a little bonding thing that we used to have talking about like personality styles and quizzes and things like that. Um, and so he taught me the, the whole Maya Briggs system. Um, and I've kind of, 
I really designed the superpowers to try and make them as attractive as possible to that particular type of person, if that makes sense. Oh, that's awesome. Okay. Yeah. So every time I mention it and like tell people what their superpowers would end up being, most of the time people are like, oh my gosh, that's so cool. I got the coolest superpowers. I'm like, yes, my system is working. That's right. <laughs> So yeah, so this one doesn't doesn't go into that a lot because this is kind of um, peripheral to the main world, the, like the main. Okay. Universe. We're talking like universe sized here, and like the witch blue stuff happens off over here, and that's going to be the main series. Okay. And then often like normal person space is a, a, a space station Aphelion, which is really famous for being like the space station of the galaxy. You know, it's neutral territory; you can get anything there. Um, and this is a story set on that space station. And I have a couple of other um, short novellas that will be uh, set on that space station as well. And so that's kind of like a running thing in the background of what will be the main series. Wow, that's so, amazing. Yeah. And and people can get that book now, right? You can, sure that's can. on Kindle yeah, and on Amazon. Go and they can grab it at any any of your favorite retailers online will, will carry Rush Job. Okay. And so what would, what was your decision on having as you say, you're introducing this world, what made you decide to do something as a novella first to introduce people instead of diving straight into the, to the, to the main, uh, the main story arc? So I have like two very distinct hats that I wear when I deal with publishing and writing business. And there is writer me and there is publisher me and publisher me looks at things and goes, you know what? We should make sensible career decisions. <laughs> you know, we should write book one first and then we should write book two and then we should not get distracted by three other series because we should write book three. <laughs> All for me is over here being like, yeah, you know what, I feel like writing this. And now I don't anymore, so I'm going to write this one. <laughs> <laughs> and publisher me is left scrambling going, okay, well, what do I do? Do I sit on these stories that have been written yeah. and just like, hold them indefinitely until writer Amy has done something sensible or do we just release them and let them be what they are? Um, for me, the, like, the release of the book is like, yes, it is finished. I am now done. Tick this off my list of things to do. I have achieved the thing. It's finished. I'm done. And so I do like to release them when I've done them, even if it's not necessarily the most sensible order it's <laughs> in point this one here where is it trust issues that came out in 2019 i think maybe 20 no early 2020 about a year ago this one came out and this is book 1.5 in a series that i haven't written yet <laughs> <laughs> i know what happens like i have the series planned out in my head um, and I've written the first draft of the first book a couple of times. So I've got the first and second drafts. But this one just came, and it's about the same length as this one, okay. um, just just came together and just worked. And I'm like, look, it stands alone well enough. Let's just run with it. Right. Um, I find stories of this length, which is about 10,000 words or about 70, 75 pages. Okay. I find them a really good palate cleanser um, when I'm transitioning between big projects. Uh, they're just that little bit longer than a short story, which allows me to dig into some plot development and some character development more and to really, ex I find them really useful for exploring the world. Okay. Like, even though this is not the main series and doesn't really interact with the timeline of the main series at all, I still had to do a lot of work in terms of like developing the slang that they would use, 
really digging deep into the attitudes um, between the regular people and the witches who have the superpowers. And because it's told from the perspective of the regular people, like, well, how are they going to talk about the witches and what's their perspective going to be? So it, it really does force me to do a lot of that around the edges world building work that becomes really useful then when I do get into the main series. So, okay. yeah. So but the only reason I haven't started the main Witch Blue series yet is because I just have, pardon me, I have too many others in the queue that are still open that I haven't finished yet. And I, I need to finish those series before I'm allowed to go and play in something else again. <laughs> <laughs> so, so as you mentioned, I think when we, we talked about a couple months ago, it's like uh, uh, the luxury of self-publishing yeah. is that you can do it at your own pace. Exactly. So hypothetically speaking, what if you, what would you do if say like a, a, a publishing house says, I like this Witch Blue series. We want to, um, we want to commission you to. We want to hire you to. We want to have you write this. Would you ever say? Would there be a a money number, or would there ever be a, something that would make you say yes? I will work with a publishing company on this particular series, or would you just never do that? These days, I mean, everything's available for a price, and anyone who tells you otherwise is fooling themselves. <laughs> Legit, like we know this is a thing, right? You know, every everyone has a price at some point, and whether that's you know a, a monetary price or an, or an intangible price of some description, and I think that it is useful to be self aware enough to understand what your prices are. You know, right. yeah. I am very wary of traditional publishing. Lots of people have really good experiences there and that's fantastic and I'm super happy for them and I'm not saying it's, you know, your your journey's your own journey and it's not up to me to dictate what that should be. Yeah. But the the constant mergers between the big houses and the fact that they're mostly owned now by multinationals that are more interested in the acquisition of intellectual property to pad the company value rather than to actually faithfully exploit that IP and bring it to market. Yeah. Um, if I had something that was good enough that it would interest, you know, a big publishing house like that, you're good enough that it would interest yeah. a big publishing house like that, then I would have to be like, okay, well, what what is the benefit in me giving up the vast majority of my royalties to them? If it's right. that good, then I just, you know, you have to be a lot more patient with, with indie publishing, obviously, because it's not going to generate that automatic instant buzz that you're going to get from a marketing push from a publisher but word of mouth is still what sells and traditional publishers know that as well so if you write something that is really amazing it's going to get out there it's going to spread um you you just have to be a little bit more patient you know either that or throw money at it yourself when you're an indie publisher and that's not an option for me so i'm just sitting here being patient so what would they have to offer me in order for me to actually come on board i mean unrealistic amounts of money <laughs> I, I would be willing to cut because the thing this is the thing you know you have to plan for success it's all well and good to say oh yeah cool they're going to give me 10 grand to publish a book of mine that's great what happens for me considering i've got my own backlist here what happens if that's my one book that breaks out gets film options and deals and blah 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 and because of a bad contract because i was happy for the ten thousand dollars i've now signed away any ability to, to share in that future success, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, we, we'd be talking like seven figures at least. <laughs> to make it worth your while, sure, yeah. 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 Throw me a million bucks, maybe half a million for one book. I could probably be bought for that much at this point in my career. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Now, I don't know if we talked about this last year, I mean, uh, 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 a few months ago. Do you, uh, w- when it comes down to it, you have a a, a pretty good, uh, you know, an, an, an amazing, you know, website, not just on amylawrence.com, but also on your Inkprint Press. Uh, dot com which you work with <clears throat> yeah now let me ask you is like pre-pandemic did you uh did you actually ever like you know do book shows or did you ever um do like book conventions and uh and how do you how do you see book conventions and things happening post-pandemic yeah. and what would what would you be doing during those times so i tried a couple of smaller cons Mm-hmm. didn't I mean the amount of money that you pay for a stall versus the amount of traffic that you get and we found like my husband and I find this all the time with our other side hobbies that we run as well it's it's a huge investment to commit to spending because a lot of them won't let you just rock up for one day you're there for for three days on average right. so three days of your time it's the money for the stall in the first place as well and I find that it's a really big investment for how much return you actually get. Okay. What I had more success with was actually just regular book signings. Uh, I have a really fantastic indie bookstore here in Canberra called Harry Hartog, and they are super supportive of local authors. Um, they stock all my books and, and restock them um, consistently, and they were really supportive at running really effective book signings. And I would have like 50, 70 people show up because I have a relatively good network of personal contacts as well. Um, and I would make enough money that it's worth having the, book, the in-person book signings. Now, obviously, COVID put paid to that. Mm. And last year, I was not able to launch the Fox book right. uh, in person at Harry Hartog as I had planned to do. And so um, at the prompting of some other research that I was doing, I made the decision actually to run a Kickstarter for it instead. Right, yeah. And that worked incredibly well. We raised about $3,500, which is a lot more sales. I mean, that's, that's not profit, but that's gross sales. But it's still a lot more gross sales than I would have got from an in-store book signing. And what I found really interesting is that it was almost entirely a whole new audience to my work. It was about 75% new customers uh, and 25% regulars, if that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, and so Inkprint Press has run a bunch of Kickstarters now. I think we've just run our, our fifth campaign just wrapped up about three weeks ago. Um, and, yeah, that's been a really interesting experience and really valuable, I think. And I think we're at the point now where that's just going to become a standard part of our launch procedure and that we're going to do a Kickstarter for the launch of each main series and main titles just as standard practice because that at the moment seems to be really effectively filling that space that a book signing would would have filled otherwise. Right. And what would you say kind of the benefits because, yeah, the enormous series of different books that you've written – is is there a strategy on i guess my question is is that you know what's the benefits and drawbacks of um having multiple books you know being able to not be pigeonholed um but then again when you when you have multiple series and multiple books is it hard to be is it hard to pick that masthead series or books to say 
I'm kind of want to steer you over this direction. How, how does that, how does that work for you? Yeah, it's definitely a challenge. And I knew that going in uh, and a lot of the research and advice that I had read from professional authors was basically, if you're going to jump, jump early and jump often so that that way your readers, you build a readership around you as a brand and an author rather than around a particular style of series that you're working on, which I think is really solid advice. I mean, you you look at the most extreme example possible, which is J.K. Rowling, and after writing Harry Potter, literally has not been able to write anything else under that name, you know? So, yeah, that was always the advice that I had read was if you're going to jump, jump early, jump often so that readers expect that as part of your brand. And the other thing that I have found then from actually doing that, because I always knew I was going to jump. We we talked about that. This is the reason why I have a book 1.5 out before I have the rest of the series, right, you know. Um, I just I lean into that uh, ADHD aspect, and I mean that literally not figuratively, um, of my brain and its functionings. And that's just where we go with the writing. You know, I've got to be interested. I've got to be invested in the book that I'm writing in at the time. And that means writing what I feel like writing, not necessarily what is the best and smartest marketing decision. So I knew that jumping was going to be a feature. So for me, I guess as well, it's forced me to really clarify my understanding of my own brand. What does it mean to be an Amy Lawrence book? You know, regardless of the genre trappings that are around that, what is actually at the heart and the core of the story that you can expect consistently when you come to my work, regardless of what form that might actually take? Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, it does. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And I think in a lot of ways, doing the short stories, doing the inklets has really been beneficial for that because you can play with that a lot more quickly in a short story and really lean into, okay, well, how do I make this as me as possible? How, how do I, what is it that I love about this story? What is it that is connecting me to this or drawing me to this? And how do I lean into that as hard as I possibly can to make it as me as physically possible? Because that's what the brand then becomes, you know? And, and that also helps to you as um, for you with, with, with the uh, ink print press and all your, you know, your, uh, your kits and, and uh, yeah. that you are kind of creating um how effective is that doing that to create a, like a readership community as well? Yeah, look, it's really in its fledgling, fledgling, and then there, sorry, <laughs> fledgling stage at the moment. Um, so what you're referring to, obviously, is our our fan kits that we do at Inkprint Press. Which, just in case anyone uh, doesn't know what that is. It's like when you subscribe to a book box and you get a book box come to you um, often every month and you get the hardcover signed edition of the book. Yeah, here we go. Um, Unfortunately, we don't have pretty photos of them yet. That's something that I'm working on. Um, And so you get the box and you get a bunch of goodies inside the box. And most companies do that based just on a generic theme. And so it will be like, Valentine's love in February and so you'll have a romance novel and you'll have a bunch of things that relate to other famous well-known romance novels as well okay we've taken that and we've put a spin on it because instead of just having a collection of things around a theme our items are collected around the book okay and so when you get the fan kit for for example rush job here which is a mini fan kit because it's only a, a mini title um you get the signed copy of the book and then you get five or six other items that are directly related to the book itself oh that is really cool for example something that we put into every um box or every fan kit is a scented product like a soap or a candle and that has a specific scent 
to evoke some of the atmosphere of the book, for example. Right. And a bunch of other, you know, cool things. We've had jewellery in them. We've had cookie cutters in them. We've had socks in them. There's a lot of enamel pins. Um, yeah. So they are very much in their fledgling stage. We get a lot of sales of them through the Kickstarter mostly. Right. Um, not many sales apart from outside the Kickstarter yet, but I think that that's largely to do with the fact that we're not advertising them well. I need to add more information to that page about possible items that you might receive and put up some pretty photos and things like that. Right. But that aspect of things really was just because I wanted to and it was fun. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm like, yes, it's a vaguely plausible mar marketing ploy and I really, really, really want to do it because it's so much fun. So, you know. <laughs> what I find fascinating too, and this is something that I, you don't see very often, is that you also have a Braille yeah. Yeah. Uh, option for your books. So uh, Liana in particular is quite involved um, with accessibility and things like that. She right. has a chronic degenerative illness herself. She has Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome. Yeah. Um, and has dealt with special needs as a parent as well. Uh, I am a high school teacher, and so I see things at the other end. I see that in the classroom. Um, both of my kids have had interesting approaches to reading that have necessitated like some occupational therapy for vision and things yeah. like that. Um, like they can, they, they don't need glasses or anything. They just had tracking problems and things like that. So it's not like they're not vision impaired. Right. Um, but it just did impact their ability to to learn to read. And I, yeah, I, I Liana and I are both neurodivergent. So incorporating accessibility and things like that, that is something that is really personal to us and we find really important and really valuable. So we actually partner with um, a braille company in the in the US and they do all of the translation and things for us and they make the process so easy so right. easy literally all we have to do is send them the order send them the PDF of the book that we need translated uh, and within two to three weeks they translate the book for us into braille and ship it out for free to the the person who's ordered it so and so do you see that too, like talking from the publisher perspective of, of that, the hat you wear for this, do you make that part of the, um, the kind of the mission statement of Inkprint Press for yeah, sure. accessibility happens? It's not something that we've, uh, we've ever like articulated, I guess, as part of our actual brand, like vision statement or anything like that. But, you yeah. know, as I said, it's something that's really personally relevant to both of us. So it just, it's kind of just like a natural wall. And coming at it from a business perspective as well, as an indie author, part of being successful right. as an indie author is exploiting as many income streams as you possibly can. And that means also exploiting as many formats as you can. You know, We don't have the budget right now to make our stuff available in audio, but it's definitely on the cards for as soon as we can afford to do that. Yeah. Um, and that's another way of making it accessible as well. And then we have the Braille, which has been super easy for us to do. And so why not do it and have yeah. that available, you know? And we're in the process at the moment of starting to schedule translation of a lot of our works into large print so that we have large print versions of everything as well. So, and, yeah. the, and, I, and, I, not, and I saw that the, uh, the initial, is, is there like an initial investment cost that, that you end up having to... Uh, Eat be, uh, as a as a publisher because you you list the books 
like you know a small book's like 45 bucks and the large books around 85 bucks is that that's a normal price for braille books that is that is that is unfortunately a normal price for a braille book yeah um a full-length novel averages between about 90 and 120 dollars for a full-length um, novel, those prices. There's no investment up front for us with the Braille, which is why it was so easy for us to make it accessible. Okay, good. Right. Those prices that you see are literally the cost of the book plus about five dollars for us. Wow. Okay. Um, so you know, we we were really committed to not inflating the prices unnecessarily as well because Braille books are already expensive as it is. So no you know, the vast majority of that expense that you're seeing there is literally just the cost of translating and physically printing and binding the Braille book. Yeah. yeah. So another YouTuber here, the Daily Dan blog. So here, Amy, you should check out his channel. He does yeah. Sasquatch hunting and things. He does good nice. stuff. Uh, he mentioned I listen to audiobooks. And is there something that you look at too is to do uh, uh, make audiobook versions yeah. of your, your books? I, well? I would absolutely love to do audiobook versions of our of our books. And that's been on our agenda on an almost monthly basis for about two years now. <laughs> but unfortunately with audiobooks, there is a really significant upfront cost. Yeah. Uh, even to translate something like this into audio is going to cost us about $300. Jeez Louise. Yeah. yeah, that's it. Exactly. One of these novels here. So to do what's our, that's sort of an average length title there, that one. Yeah. It's about 350 pages, I think, if I remember. 320, I was close. Um, 90,000 words, that's about $900. Wow. Yeah, done okay. as an audio book. So, and that's just kind of like you're getting your, you know, your kind of your average run of the mill narrator, not one of your yeah. higher yeah. end ones. Yeah. I, I looked into it with this one, and for the narrator, for my preferred narrator, um, out of all the options that were offered to me, it was going to cost me about six hundred dollars to do Jeez this. Jeez Louise! So, I mean, this is actually a good advertisement to tell people if you have a good voice and good at speaking, you should go into narrating audiobooks. That's it. Yeah. I am the only thing stopping me from training myself to do our own audiobooks. Is just the fact that I have a lot of balls in the air that I'm juggling at the moment. You know, if I can put a couple of those balls aside and, and, and have the time to do it, because I've heard that it takes, you need to allow between three and four hours of work per finished hour of audio. Wow. Um, if someday I can come up with that time, I'd be really keen to read ours myself or at least read mine myself. I think it's really cool also when you hear the book read by the by the author because right. you hear uh, so much of how they intended the inflection to come across. And I really love reading aloud. So it would not be stressful for me at all. It's, it's yeah, but at the moment, uh, yeah, so audio is on the cards, but it's either a time or a money thing. Um, and if I get the time first, I'll record them. And if I get the money first, I'll pay someone else to record them. And in the meantime, we will just wait patiently. <laughs> See, and I, I'm kind of curious when you write these sci- you know, like that, you know, science fiction based things. And like, I'm looking at it from, um, from like a, like, a, like an ethnocentric kind of areas. Like, do you have your main characters be Australian or is there kind of like a generic, country or like background that you have in mind that that you have for that so i made the decision pretty early on that i was just going to lean into my identity as an australian author for better or for worse i strongly prefer 
writing and reading contemporary and urban fantasy. That's that's my first passion. Right. So whenever I do write fantasy, it is set in Australia. Okay. And the reason that I chose to do that is not it, it's terror, not snobbery. Right. The idea of having to research a place convincingly enough to set a story there. And look, I know logically I can look at a bunch of other authors and be like, well, they've never been to this place and they convincingly wrote about it. So it is a thing that's possible. <laughs> this is not, the logic does not seep through, you know, I go, but what if I don't know how the street lights work or what time the this happens or what kind of flowers they use to street plant? And then if I have to go and research all of that, I spiral and I spend like a year panicking that I haven't researched enough rather than actually writing the book. Right. <laughs> so, for my own sanity's sake, I, I yeah, I made that decision early on that I would just, you know, I feel like this is a very stock standard setting, but most people in the world do not live in Australia. And so for them, it is exciting and new and different and original. So I'm like, you know what? We're just going to, we're going to lean into that. So that that's the case for all the, the fantasy work that I do. The science fiction, um, I can track back sort of where the cultural development is coming from, if that makes sense. Like, this one here, the whole Witch Blue universe, the backstory of that is actually a middle grade sci-fi superhero story that I am working on at the moment. Okay. And that is because I somewhat naively promised a class of students two years ago that I would write a book with all of them as main characters and realised that it kind of fit with this plot structure that I already had and now I am trying to figure out how to write a story with 25 main characters. <laughs> it's, you know, it's, it's, it's a work in progress. Progress has been made. Um, and that's actually my main title that I'm focusing on finishing this year in terms of a full length novel. So in terms of like the cultural background of, of the, the sci-fi worlds, for example, like I know exactly what the cultural makeup of, of that group of kids is. And they are the ones who migrate from Earth out into space originally. So I know exactly what the cultural background of this place is going to be. And then it's just a matter of extrapolating forward, you know, and going, well, okay, over time, how do these things get blended and shifted? How does that also interact with these superpowers that they have to develop these cultural norms? And then what impact does that have? sprawling out in the future you know it's it's that idea of like projecting it forward and seeing what happens i guess yeah so so what's your myers-briggs personality what are you uh, enfj enfj okay yeah. and what's the superpower of the enfj so my main superpower is um an emotor so you know like an empath can detect other people's emotions and emotor can influence other people's emotions right okay um that's my primary one and off the top of my head, I cannot remember what my secondary one is. It, it might be um, polygraph, I think. I know that's related to the J types, NJ, I'm pretty sure. So pretty sure it's polygraph. So like the ability to tell when people are lying or telling the truth. Okay, that's yeah. pretty cool. What about, I'm an ENFP. What would the ENFP power um, be? FP, hang on. Can I, can I look it up? I've got it open. Yeah. It's just in my little writing folder that all constantly stays open. One day I'm going to make a pretty graphic for this and just be like, right, Everybody distribute this to the internet. Here is the beautiful graphic that tells you what you are. Uh, so ENFP, did you say? Yeah. So 
Um, it's just loading. It's loading. It's loading. I'm pretty sure that your EF will mean that, like me, you have emoting, like being an emoter as one yeah. of your so, – so everyone gets two. Okay. Um, is yeah. the idea. Here we go. Okay. So, yes. And, P, so you have precognition as your second oh, one. Okay. I was right. It was truth-telling for okay. my second one. Yeah. Um, I'll grab I, I, I knew you were going to say precognition. Yeah, there you go. See, you <laughs> so yes, being an emoter and so controlling people's controlling and influencing people's emotions and also precognition. Those yeah. are your two superpowers. Oh, okay, that's pretty cool. Uh, yeah, Daily Dan blogs just said that it, that Lost is a good example of writing fifty main characters. Basically, <laughs> is how you would do that. So. Except I'm kind of hoping to like you know wrap it all up in one book, not like fifty million seasons. And I would like to actually have an ending that works. <laughs> oh my gosh. I was so invested in Lost for like the first two seasons, and then they just kept introducing mystery after mystery after mystery without wrapping any of it up in a satisfying way and I'm just like that's it I'm done I can't do this <laughs> so one of the things that we never got a chance to talk about a couple months ago is your how-to books yeah and these are talk about fun stuff I so your first book that you came out with was and I think it's under your nonfiction section was yeah you wrote so I have it written up here you have um here we go. There it is. How to, yeah. How, how to, to write dogs. That yeah, came yeah. out in 2012. You've yes. had. Except when it came out, it did not look like this. It looked uh, like this. Okay. Uh, so. Sorry. Yeah. Right, me, yeah. Okay. There it is. The 33 worst mistakes writers make about dogs. So that used to be a different title. Yeah. So the, the way that that came about is that um, the author Holly Lyle, who is a, a sci-fi fantasy author in America, she is really, really great about mentoring early writers and has some fantastic writing courses. And I got really interested and really invested in that around about 2010-ish, I guess, when I was starting to get serious about writing. Yeah. Um, and one of her things that she did there is a word I can't think of it right now you know one of the the things that she did to try and help other writers was she came up with this idea of the 31st 33 worst mistakes series okay and um you could pitch to her and say here is a thing that I'm expert in I would like to write the 33 worst mistakes writers make about xyz right. um and based on that pitch she would approve or not and then would help would mentor you through the, the process of writing that book and then publishing it as part of the series and would have them available as a, as a series online and this was back in like the really early days of of indian online publishing and so having that kind of venue where you could easily access online ebooks and you could be part of it was was a pretty big deal and so that's why i wrote that one originally um and then when that kind of all fizzled as mm -hmm. as sometimes these things do um by that point i had written so the the story of, of these books goes that um after i had my son back in 2012 i ended up with postnatal depression uh -huh. and i couldn't write fiction and so at the end of that year a friend of mine krista ball who's also an indie author suggested to me that I take all these non-fiction things that I had been talking about and turn them into a book. And so I did the research and I wrote a book called From the Ground Up, 
And it was all about world building and how the climate, the map that you draw influences the climate that your population lives in, which therefore influences their culture and the kind of plant and animal life that you're going to get as well. Okay. And so I wrote that and it went to a publisher, but it ended up bouncing back to me because it was long and complicated and it took a very long time and they didn't really do anything with it. I mean, they did and they were lovely to work with. But long story short, I, I asked for my rights back and got them back and then was like, I have this 100,000 word piece <sighs> of researched thing that I have to try and somehow edit and fact check and, oh, my gosh, what have I just done? <laughs> And at that point, I was like, the only way I can manage this is actually to, to chunk it. And so I split it into chunks. And here are the three chunks that stood alone, you know. And so, so that how to create cultures that came out in June 2019. Yep. How to create life came out in November 2019. Yep. And how to map came out in August 2020. Yeah, that's the one. Okay. So, and it is completely backwards because how to map is supposed to be the first section in the book, but it was the most complicated to get experts in to help me fact check. Right. Um, And so that's the one that took the longest to put together. Whereas cultures and life, they were easy to find experts for to help me fact check them. And so they got done faster. And so they came out first, basically. So if someone's interested in in, in purchasing these books, they can just go to amylawrence.com and just click on that. And they'll. I think so. Do you want to click on that and let me know? Because I've done a bunch of site admin work last week. Yep, there uh, we yep. go. I can do there that. Is. Yes, you can purchase the ebooks and I mean and the print books, but I'll be shipping it from Australia, so don't feel you have to purchase a print book from Australia. Uh, but yeah, the ebooks are all there and available straight okay. from the website. All right, cool. Yeah, so I figured if I was doing a bunch of nonfiction, I might as well make it a series, and so that's why I recovered that one to then match the series. Mm. It's the same content. It's just been repackaged and rebranded. And so, but then you had How to Theme came out in 2018. That's that was, right. Yeah, there it is. So this one was literally because I'm an English teacher and so theme is my thing. Uh, and lots of authors are really intimidated by by what theme is and how theme works in their writing and, and what mm. it actually means and all that sort of thing. For me, um, and I actually wrote a post on this about two weeks ago on my blog, actually. You could probably scroll back and find it if you're super keen. Um, just comparing and contrasting the different ways that Liana Brooks, who is my uh, writing and business partner, and I actually go about planning stories. She's mm-hmm. very much, um, I guess, what what you would traditionally expect of like, well, plot arc, character arc, here's my twists, here's my structure, get all that together. And then a pantser, I, right? And then the pantser, is that the other term? Yeah. and But even when I'm pantsing, the, the only way I can do that and still stay, stay focused is by actually knowing what my theme is. It's like, well, what am I actually trying to say with this story? What's the point that I'm trying to make? Yeah. And so she works really well on that intermediate level and I work on either like the complete upper level or the micro of like here are the words and let's do the line edits, which is why we work together so well as a team in the publishing because she does the developmental edits and I do the line edits and that works. Right. You know, we're very fortunate like that. But yeah, that's so that's why I wrote How to Theme, which was just um, something I wrote. The whole thing is almost the whole thing is available for free on my blog. If you go to, um, there's a drop down menu for books, there's freebies as a freebies page. Um, yeah, books at the top there in the middle. And then free stuff. That's the one. 
And yeah, there's a link there to where you can read most of this for free. The bonus stuff at the back is not there because you've got to have some incentive to buy the book, right? right? Sure, yeah. Um, but you can read the main meat of it right there for, for free on the blog. So, okay. Yeah. Get stuck into it. It's useful. Uh, to know. It, it, is this all for your how-to books or are you going to have, uh, do you have ideas for more? Uh, no, for sure. I'm not sure. I, I'm not sure how soon I'll end up doing like another ink print writers one specifically. Um, I feel like the kinds of things that I have to say about writing at the moment are better served as blog posts rather or articles rather than a full book per se. Mm. Um, but I certainly have more nonfiction stuff in the works. Um, I've got some religious nonfiction that I'm wanting to, to write and I think one of those titles might come out at the end of this year and, again, that'll just be, you know, short little titles like this. Uh, and I've also got some nonfiction books that I am loosely plotting at the moment. I'm just, I'm in that stage where you've got the document and you've got the possible chapter headings and you're kind of filling in the ideas and starting to think about doing the research and things uh, about so the, the two in particular is one about organisational methods because I get asked a lot about how do you do it all? I'm like, well, one of the keys is regularly scheduled mental breakdowns. So <laughs> you can that one into your time. But but seriously, you know, I, I, I have a lot of balls juggling in the air. I've got two primary school aged kids. Um, I, I work full time as a, a teacher. I, I am Ink Print Press. Everything that you see that happens from Ink Print Press is me doing that, including all like the social media feeds and the website work and all of that. I write. Uh, my husband and I have a bit of a side hobby sewing baby products and, and like baby playmats and things that we sell on Etsy. Supporting my husband, who's just started up his business, The Black Kookaburra, a year ago, designing pins and socks and things like that. Um, cakes i do cakes as well if you follow me on any social media feeds you'll see my cakes on a semi-regular awesome blog post about cakes yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah so yeah the whole how do you do all of this is a reasonably regular question that i get asked and so one of the non-fiction books that i'm i'm working with is like well how actually do i do this what actually are my strategies for doing all of this up to and including the regularly scheduled monthly breakdown and how do you allow for that and incorporate that you know right. So that's one. And the other one that I'm working on, which is really, really, it's a really, it's a real heart book, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, it's, it's going to be called Three Quarters Perfect. And it's really seeking to deconstruct this idea that we live with in a fourth stage capitalist gig economy of you always have to try your best, you know, and if you're not working to 100% capacity 100% of the time, then you're a failure. And that just causes so many problems. And I deal with that, you know, as a, as a maladaptive perfectionist myself, I deal with that personally. I see that so often in the kids that I teach because I teach at a pretty high stakes um, place where there's a lot of parental pressure and a lot of school cultural pressure for kids to be constantly performing and getting like straight A's in every subject. And I just, I see the damage that this causes on people's mental health, you know, like this, this is not how human beings are designed to operate. This is not healthy. This is not helpful. And in the long run, it doesn't actually help you to be any more productive. Right. So three quarters perfect is going to be about deconstructing that um, and how actually aiming for 75%, aiming for three quarters perfect is going to 
do you a lot better in the long run than trying to do 100% of everything 100% of the time, you know? Right. Yeah. Well, and that's a good point. I was talking about a couple of weeks ago is that there's, it's like, you know, as authors and artists and like you're, you're, you were living in this, this, this constantly in two worlds where one side you, you listen to advice, you're like, you only got so many minutes in the day. You just got to yeah. keep, you got to plug, plug, plug. And then the other side is like, take your time, relax. If you're not yeah. into it, don't worry about it. Like there's, and I think as, you know, as creatives, you're just always constantly getting pulled in those two separate directions all the time. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. There's a real tension there. Yeah, for sure. And so uh, we're going to wrap up in a little bit. So um, Amy, talk to us a bit about your, as you mentioned, some of your upcoming works and things that you're, you have uh, in the pipeline right now. Yeah, sure. I mean, as, as people will know, if they were here for episode 53, um, <laughs> I dealt with a lot of really horrible insomnia that really wiped me out for uh, December, January, which is normally, that's, that's normally my peak writing and publishing time of the year because that's our school, um, our, our, it's not only our Christmas holidays, it's our summer holidays as well. Mm. Um, got nothing done. This term has been an absolute nightmare at work. Uh, we've had the same amount of work that we normally do in shrunk into a reduced time frame, and so there's been a lot of deadline pressure. And so between that and recovering from the sleep deprivation, I've really had to take it slow. I just I don't have the reserves to push as hard as I normally do. And so because of that, obviously my schedule has been impacted and I am just... I'm just running with it, you know, right. like I'll, I'll do what I can do. I've got rush job out already for this year. So I've got one title out. I'll tell you what I'm working on for my second title in just a second. Uh, I've got my first two titles for next year out already, uh, like done and ready to go. One of them's like in final edit stage. So it's nearly done, but it's, you know, it's got a cover and what sort of thing. So I feel like whatever else I get done this year kind of just has to be a bonus, you know. Mm. And I'm also using it as an opportunity to get caught up on a lot of publishing jobs that have been needing to be done for like the last 18 months that I just haven't had time to get to. So yeah. going back to our, the, the first things that we published, for example, and reformatting them to suit what we now know is best practice, going back and just doing another proofread on old works that I've spotted a lot of typos in when I've been going through and reading them branching out so that we're distributing directly to a lot more different retailers as well, um, things like that. So I kind of feel like, well, I've got Rush Job out. I'm working on Bones of the Sea at the moment, and I'll tell you more about that. If I if I only get those two out and maybe a short nonfiction, one of the religious nonfictions ones that I was talking about is completely drafted already, so I really just have to sit down and edit that, and that'll that'll come out in the second half of the year. Right. If nothing else, I've got three short releases this year. I've got my first two releases for next year, which are both short, done already as well. Anything else I can write for the rest of this year is just a bonus, you know. Um, hopefully I'll get one novel done and hopefully that'll be Moonshot, which is the first one in that Witch Blue series Okay. Uh, for the students because I've got students who are leaving the school at the end of this year and I kind of need to finish the book so I can get it to them before they leave. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Um, but yeah, other than that, I just like, I know I need to prioritize this, the sequel for Fox book, which I'm calling stag book. It'll be a stag of hope and memory. Mm -hmm. uh, and that'll wrap up that series. It's only a duology. So I need to, I need to prioritize that at some point, <laughs> at some point I need to get back to Kadidios. There are another four books that need to happen there before the main series is wrapped up. And then a bunch of like standalones that go around that one as well. 
So, you know, I kind of, I know that those are are my priorities. I just have to do what I can do and accept that this might just be a slow publishing year, but at least I'm getting some jobs done in the background and getting the admin. So at least we've got a solid base moving forward, you know? Um, Right. To to reiterate, a slow publishing year for you was to publish three books. Yeah, but they're short. (laughs) This is like 10,000 words, you know? Short. (laughs) <laughs> but thanks for making me feel better. I appreciate it. <laughs> um, yeah, which, you know, I guess brings me to Bones of the Sea, which is the one that I'm working on. Right. <laughs> oh, my gosh. So this was supposed to be my little palate cleanser, right, over the Christmas holidays. We went away for two weeks up to sunny Queensland, which is like our equivalent of your Florida, you know, like yeah. you go for that beach holiday over the summer break. We were there for a week and a half and I was like, yes, I will use this as a palate cleanser. I will write this book. And then when I come back in January, I will start into stag book and actually do a proper novel for the year. Lol jokes, had the insomnia, was getting to sleep maybe at about 4 a.m. some of the mornings as well. Mm -hmm. So I was getting like, not a lot of sleep, did not do much writing. Came back, still wasn't writing and then just you know, and, and long-term writers will know this. If you stop writing for too long, you lose that habit and you get into the habit of not writing instead of being in the habit of writing. writing. Yeah. And so I'm so out of the habit now because I really I haven't written anything since early January, which was working on Bones of the Sea. Right. I'm denied about whether to do the Kickstarter for Bones of the Sea or not. And originally I had that planned and ready to go out right at the end of January, and that's what we were talking about last time we were together. Um And I just went, look, I I need to be further into the book before I actually launch the Kickstarter campaigns. I'm just going to hold off on that for a bit. Held off, held off, held off. Still hadn't written anything and was like, you know what, okay, I think we need to actually just go the opposite tact now and I'm going to launch the Kickstarter at the end of February uh, and we're going to run that and that's going to be a hard deadline for me to finish the book. Yep, finish the Kickstarter, have the money for the Kickstarter, the book is due to Kickstarter backers at the end of this month, which cunning readers will note is like less, uh, just over two weeks away. <laughs> have I finished the book? Have I finished the book? I have not finished the book. It's not close to being finished. I mean, I've, only got, more, I've got 15,000 words in it to go because it's only going to be a short title as well. Right. Um, and I've mapped out a whole bunch of what comes next, but I really have not finished the book. <laughs> Well, it looks you have it listed already, right? So I know this was further motivation. I did that last week because I'm like, look, you gotta, you, this is a hard deadline, Amy. You gotta hit this deadline. So I'm giving myself as many um, places as possible. I even went to the retailers last week and put it up officially for pre-order at all of the places. Yeah. So it is available for pre-order. Because um, I'm like, no, I just, I have to. I'm, I'm at the point where I know, I know that I'm actually just being lazy not writing you know you you haven't written for so long that you get scared of writing again and you get scared of that blank page and oh but what if it's terrible and you know i just did a bunch of reading judging uh the aurealis awards yep. as one of the judges for the fantasy novella panel and so i'm i'm in my head you know going oh but i'm i'm going to be submitting to this to this category next year what if it's not good enough and what do i need to do to make sure that it's shortlisted yeah, shut up get out of your own head you know so, yes, I'm piling on as many external deadlines as possible so that I hopefully hit the point where failing is going to hurt me more yeah. than giving it a go. Right. You know, and tipping that's a, that that's all right. Yeah. 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 Cool. 
Well, well great. Well, yeah. So thank you so much. Thank <laughs> you so much, David. This is fun stuff. So, uh, yeah. So, like I said, we we'll, we always have plenty of things to talk about because you yeah, always yeah. Are, are 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 doing something. So, um, and uh, and 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 yeah. So this is great. So, uh, what was I going to say? So I would say so. Yeah, let us know when Bones of the Sea comes out, and you're going to say, and that's still going to be planning as coming out as a Kickstarter. The so the Kickstarter for that one is done. Okay, um, good. All right, it's now up for pre-order everywhere. And should you so desire, you can also pre-order the fan kit. Um, I've had pieces for that coming in in the post. <laughs> Very exciting to see all the little bits and pieces and the goodies. I just I love giving presents, and so packing fan kits just feels like I'm like I know you paid for it, but I'm still packing a present for you, and it's amazing right. and it's so much fun. <laughs> so yeah, it's available for sale. It'll be out officially in the first week of June. Right. Um, back as we'll get theirs a bit early, but yeah, yeah, everyone else will get theirs in June, and you can order a whatever you want, fan kit, print copy, ebook. It's all available for pre-order. Perfect. All right. Well, thank you very much, Amy. Thanks so much for having me again. It's been a blast. You're welcome. And I do, and I like. So, do you actually like? Are do you always have the like? Anytime you do something like this, you always take the books with you. That's always like your standard background as you do it. Yeah, I don't, <laughs> the only the only study that I have is like my desk up on the, the landing of the stairs, uh -huh. and so I sit at my desk. The linen press is behind me. <laughs> And that does not make it for an attractive backdrop. So <laughs> I have these on a little portable shelf. Oh, do you? Is that okay? Yeah. And so the idea I can just port the shelf around. I actually made the shelf in the first place because behind my desk is just the wall and then the drop off down to the stairs. And so if I sit anything up along there, I'm always worried it's going to fall off. And so I made the little shelf so that I can at least have something there to use that space because i got to use the space you know the house is tiny you gotta gotta be <laughs> <efficient>. <laughs> so yeah that's where the shelf comes from with the book you just just carry it with you right? yeah. that's funny yeah. <laughs> so i'm i'm super classy right it's yeah. um it's an old printer box <laughs> it's just a big box from like my husband had to buy an a3 printer for work so um yeah i stole the box and Shop so that's that, that's a cardboard then that's a that's a cardboard bookshelf i told you i'm classy that is fancy <laughs> <laughs>